Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. Dr. Bashara Shukar is the Senior Vice President and Chief Health Officer for Kaiser Permanente. His work includes the creation of the nation's largest social health network, which meets the housing, food, and transportation needs of Kaiser Permanente's members. He also manages the organization's community health portfolio, including $3.4 billion dedicated to supporting medical financial assistance and charitable care, as well as grants and community health initiatives. He was in the White House, he is back at Kaiser Permanente, and today we're gonna talk about his journey, his time in the White House, and also why climate change is healthcare and community care as well. So I will say that having done some research and looking at you online through different lenses, one of the things is that thread that comes through your career, which is really around public health, community health, providing for needs above and beyond what we really think of as just medical care. And I am wondering if there was a time in your life when you needed that kind of care. Well, I mean, I I have to tell you that, you know, my career has been throughout a journey about understanding all the factors that impact health. And I grew up in Lebanon in the midst of a war that was impacting the lives of literally millions and millions of people. So of course, I got to see firsthand how we need to think about health beyond what we offer in hospitals and doctor's offices, because health truly happens in the communities where people live. So there's no doubt in my mind that I've seen that firsthand growing up, and I've also seen it with my patients throughout my clinical career. And when in your journey did you decide that you were going to be a physician? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I was in, uh, I was studying chemistry in undergrad, and I really, really, really liked organic chemistry. And that's something in and of itself, right? I was like, who loves organic chemistry? My daughter right now is talking about that. And she's like, well, thank goodness I don't have to take organic. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding? It's so amazing. <laughs> I loved organic chemistry. I'm not going to lie about that. I actually even took an advanced class in undergrad in organic chemistry. I published articles in organic chemistry. It was a lot of fun. And then I sat for the MCAT and I got accepted to medical school. I'm like, okay, I'll do medical school then. For me, truly, it was in residency when I've realized that what I'm mostly interested in is above and beyond what happens within the walls of a health system or a doctor's office. I found myself often talking to my patients about where they're going to sleep that night, where they're going to find their next meal, how they're going to be able to afford their copay for their medications while trying to manage with them their diabetes and their high blood pressure. That's really was the conversation in my residency as a family physician in Houston. And when I think back, and I'm guessing 20, 25 years was really your residency. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. These conversations weren't actually happening nearly as much as they are now. And I'm kind of in awe that you actually were thinking so outside the box, thinking about health, how it was affecting your patients, 
and then working toward finding some solutions when you uncovered those problems? Well, look, I remember clearly this one night, Deb, I was at a homeless shelter. I was an intern. And I was talking to this 50-year-old, 50-some-year-old gentleman who was his first night being homeless. And, you know, I'm sitting, talking to him at the shelter. And in the back of my mind, you know, this very well-prepared intern know that at age 50, you need to do colorectal cancer screening. And here I was sitting with this gentleman, talking to him about the importance of getting a colorectal cancer screening and scheduling- In a homeless shelter. (laughs) At a homeless shelter. Yes. And back and forth for like 10 minutes. And then he looked at me in the eyes and he said, dude, what is it that you're not getting? This is my first night homeless. I am incredibly embarrassed of having to sleep at a shelter. I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to be talking to my family about this. And you're trying to warn me about a disease that I might get five, 10 years down the line. This is not a priority for me. And I have to tell you that that conversation is constantly with me because it was a clear reminder that this very studious intern who knows what needs to happen to prevent colon cancer from, you know, catching colon cancer early was not really what that patient needed me for at that night. And it really, like, I constantly remember this interaction with this patient. It's such a lovely story about kind of going from hubris to humility and that you were willing to learn and to listen to the patient in front of you. Tell me about your work with the World Economic Forum. Well, let me start that by just saying something that's a no-brainer to me and probably to a lot of the audience that's listening here. There is no doubt that climate change is one of the biggest threats to human health, if not the biggest threat to to human health. And I think that the more that people understand and accept that, the more willingness and urgency we'll see for action. And that's part of why we've partnered with the World Economic Forum earlier this year to hold a series of events to lay out that connection between climate change and health and equity. These are concepts that make sense if you think about them. As we see more heartbreaking devastations from wildfires, floods, extreme heat, stronger storms, we can understand pretty easily that health is impacted by these disasters. The other thing- And I just wanna kind of draw out when you said human health, it's, it's really humankind health, right? Because we're not all being affected. Not everybody's actually being able to look at climate and say, my health is affected. But it's us as humankind that's being affected together. And I think that's the perspective that we need to have. There will be pockets of success and thriving even within all of these disasters. It's really the connection that we have in this globe, in this entire climate together. So just wanted to focus on that just a little bit more. Because there is no individual if we don't actually have humankind being taken care of as well. And you already hit on this a little bit, but it's not only, again, I said that there's some pockets where we're thriving or doing just fine, but there's also a lot of areas that are not doing well that aren't actually the biggest contributors to climate change when it comes to carbon load and those kinds of things. And so something that's near and dear to your heart, I know, is health equity. And talk to us a little bit about what that means in the frame of climate change. Well, thank you for bringing that. And I I think this was the second point that I was going to hit home because I think it's, yeah, it's really important to acknowledge and appreciate 
that climate change is not impacting health here in the United States or around the world equitably. There is no doubt that those that contribute the least are being impacted the most. And I think that's the part that we really need to hit home in our messaging and our narrative, and most importantly, in the way we respond to climate change and the way we're trying to mitigate the impact of climate change. You know, when we held that very first climate change and health speakers series with the World Economic Forum, it was in June in DC. And it just happened to be a day when the smoke from Canada's wildfires were all over the East Coast. And in that short walk over from my hotel to the venue, it was incredibly clear how there is no doubt that climate and weather-related events like these wildfires have a direct impact on health. We know that smoke exposure increases emergency room visits and hospitalizations from respiratory illnesses. And on that particular day in June, I was grateful to have access to a high-quality mask for that short time I had to spend outdoors. I felt reassured knowing that I could spend the majority of that day indoors. I didn't have to be outside for my job or anything else. I had good ventilation. I had good temperature-controlled air. And I know that there are many who don't have those options. So clearly, we have to be very, very conscious about the fact that those who are contributing the least are being impacted the most climate change. And when you say we, who is we? Is it we as individuals, as communities, as public entities that serve the public? Who is the we here? Well, this is an all-hands-on-deck approach. There is no one entity. There is no one person. There's no one politician. There's no one agency. It's the collective we. We all have to roll up our sleeves and we all have a role to play to make a difference. And I'll just expand on that a little bit as well. You know, you talked about that individual level. You're you're breathing in the smoke. I've had that as well. Your eyes burn. We see this in our families, our communities. But then we also know that we're seeing changes when it comes to our societies, when we look at being able to grow food together, being able to have enough water, those kinds of things. So what are you seeing when you actually expand from that community to a system level? Here's my frame of mind, if you want, around the pathways that connect climate change and health. And I think of three different distinct pathways. So there is the individual pathways, which we've been talking about, so I won't spend a lot of time on, but we know that these events impact health directly. And we, we feel those, we see these, we, you know, we're, we, we have enough evidence connecting climate change and individual health. The second pathway is at a community level. And we know that wildfires, floods, hurricanes, droughts, all of these events pose a risk to our communities as well. We see agricultural impacts that cause crops to fail on a broad scale. You know, the food and water scarcity caused by more frequent and intense weather events leading to malnutrition, dehydration, exhaustion, desperation at a population level. So you have that community level pathway. And I think the third pathway is truly at a societal level. And I think you've touched on that, Deb, a little bit. So when communities face desperate, uninhabitable conditions that they cannot be expected to accept them without regard to their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. So We can't expect people to live in unlivable conditions. They just move. 
And I think the World Bank now is estimating that more than 140 million people will be forced to migrate by 2050. There's going to be increased competition for land, for food, for water. And all of this could easily tip into conflict, into war, which also brings significant impacts to health and safety of people li living in these affected areas. So there's just multiple pathways that we see, at least these three pathways where I see the connection between climate change and health. And it's absolutely that the ability to access resources and who has the access, being able to find that, access them, and then the equitable distribution all along those ways that I think is going to be such a challenge going forward with climate change today as well. So what do we do? We've been talking a lot about the impacts. I want to make sure that we actually start thinking positively. I'm reading a fantastic book right now. It's called Imaginable by Jane McGonigal. And she talks about, she's actually a futurist and a, a game creator. And she says that when we can think 10 years into the future and imagine different scenarios, we actually start to feel more hopeful about our own ability to meet reality as it comes to us because we've thought about it and we're, we're less afraid. And so as you go through, I'm sure, these scenarios, all of the groups that you've talked about, as you think about scenario planning, let's talk about what is it that we can and should be doing. Probably, again, those same systems that you talked about at that system level, maybe the community level and the individual. And since we're both at Kaiser Permanente, and I know that you're doing a lot of work there, why don't we start there with the work that KP is doing and, and why it matters? Why did KP decide to actually get into this space? Well, look, I, I think from the way I see the work in the space is we have two big opportunities. We're truly at an inflection point here, and we have two big opportunities. One, there are things that we can do within our own operations that would make an impact. And we have to lead by example. We have to step up and do that. And we have an opportunity to leverage our voice, our healthcare voice. And by we here, I mean the collective we, to really shift the dynamic as to why climate change is a health issue. And both of these opportunities are critical. When we think about those financial impacts, it's people, there's lost work, there's disaster-related issues. We've had our own communities being affected by fires, most recently, of course, in Maui and what's happening there. And that also contributes to the total cost of healthcare. It's not just the direct cost of, of people feeling like there's something in their lungs or something is happening in the community. It literally is the impact of fires, of climate change, of, of everything happening as well. So how is it that we, again, collectively come together? What's happening in that space where we look at partnerships? Are there some successes or things that we're sharing or learning from others in there? Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that, because I think all the work that we're doing internally is so, so important. At the same time, we have an opportunity to leverage our voice as a healthcare provider to truly shift the dynamic of how and why we think about climate change as a health issue. And we've been seeing over the last year that recognition of that connection has been growing exponentially. We've been seeing shifting attitudes of climate being an environment from just climate being an environmental issue to being a human health, a humankind health issue. So those conversations are really, really critical. And we can't do that alone. So, for example, 
We are working right now with BSR where we're bringing businesses together to make sure that businesses keep health at the center of their climate work, to work in partnership across sectors, to amplify joint business action, to address community health inequities, to improve community resilience, to engage in public policies. All of those efforts are so critical in leveraging the business voice there. The World Economic Forum is another partner to us where we're raising awareness and educating the public about the importance of that connection. We're also working with the National Academy of Medicine where we've launched the Action Collaborative on Decarbonizing the U.S. Health Sector. This is a public-private partnership of leaders from across the health system committed to addressing the sector's environmental impact while strengthening the resiliency and the sustainability of operations. So we're trying to do and address that at multiple levels with multiple partnerships. And it's truly going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. It really is. It takes that huge village, us coming together. And I love how you said at the beginning, keeping health at the center of climate work. Climate work is important, no doubt about it. There's so much to be done. But I think that the health is the so that, right? It's because of its impact. And it's the so that that people, I think, can really get into as well. I want to double-click on that, Deb. You know, I think We really need to shift the conversation around climate change from a conversation that feels too scientific, too complicated, and unattached from day-to-day life to a conversation that is much more focused on how can we cope with a current urgent need? You know, what do we need to do to be safe and healthy right now? And I believe that these kinds of conversation bring in the urgency, the action, the resources, And the more we can create that connection and make it clear in people's mind, the more likely we will be able to create real positive change and move much more quickly to action on climate. So as we reflect on kind of the thread through all of this, one thing that occurs to me is the amount of optimism that you actually have to have. I don't know if it's optimism or hope that things can change, that things will change. I think certainly your past has influenced that because you've seen things change. You've actually lived through war. You guided a nation through a pandemic. You work with these world leaders. How is it that you actually sustain yourself in a hopeful way and then and in that optimism? And then what hope would you lend to the listener? Well, listen, Deb, I had the opportunity to spend a year at the White House, and I got to talk to people from across the country. And there's this one woman I met during my tenure at the White House that incredibly humbled to have met her and known her. Her name is Felicia Thibodeau. Felicia was a woman who ran a small community-based organization in San Francisco. And Felicia rented a van and would go to people in the community in different parts of San Francisco and talk to them about the importance of getting vaccinated to stay safe. She will get them encouraged and excited about getting vaccinated. She will put them in her own van and take them to a vaccination center and get them vaccinated. Felicia, by herself, got more than 1,270 people vaccinated in San Francisco. And when I talked to Felicia this one day, I was sitting in my office at the White House and I did a video call with her. She gave me so much hope that day. 
that there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of Felicia Thibodeau in this country and across the world. And it's people like Felicia that give me hope that we will be able to get things done and we will be able to get to a better place. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. So what do you want people listening to actually change? And think, if you would, maybe about a short-term change, something that they could do today when they click this off, and maybe something a little bit bigger as they influence their family, their community, their public sector, or, or even, uh, even wider. What's the change that you'd like to see the listeners have? Well, here's where I would start. If you are a business leader, I would encourage you to start thinking more broadly about the role climate plays from a health perspective. You know, think about your supply chain. Think about the ability for your team members to be there. Think about the financial implications related to climate disasters and associated health impacts. Also, reflect back on how climate has impacted you personally over the last year. There is no doubt with the extreme weather events, with the wildfires, the associated air quality issues, or the extreme heat, that you, your communities, your businesses, have not been impacted. So talk about it. I think your voice matter as a person, your voice matter as a leader. Climate change is happening now, not in some future generations, and it is impacting the health of our communities today. And it's not impacting the health of our communities equally. So tie climate change action to your goals, especially around equity. There are resource guides out there and check, check those out. But most importantly, just use your voice. Your voice matters. Talk about it to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, to your boards. All of that is really important. I love that. Thank you for the work that you do. I think that, again, the sphere of influence that you have had just continues to grow. I always like to ask, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you about? No, I think this was wonderful. We've covered all kind of different things. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health Fuse podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and will share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals. Mm -hmm.